The sermon text is the Gospel of St. John, chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were together behind locked doors because of their fear of the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. Just as the Father has sent me, I am also sending you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whenever you forgive people's sins, they are forgiven. Whenever you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. But Thomas, one of the twelve, the one called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples kept telling him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. After eight days, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Take your hand and put it into my side. Do not continue to doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet have believed. Jesus, in the presence of his disciples, did many other miraculous signs that are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. There are people who keep off of hiking trails because they are afraid they might come across a bear or a snake, even though the odds of that are very slim, and even if you do, they probably won't want anything to do with you anyway. There are people whose fear of heights keeps them out of airplanes, the Washington Monument, even though statistically almost a 0% chance that anything bad is going to happen to you while you're up there. Some people are so afraid of public speaking that they just don't go out into public at all. Even if they're not scheduled to give a speech, they figure if I stay home, there's no way anyone's ever going to ask me to speak in front of a group. Now a new one that's come up in the last decade or so is FOMO, fear of missing out, and it keeps people locked to their phone screen looking for every new notification that comes in. The fear of aging and falling apart leads to billions of dollars being spent every year on diets and doses and pills and prescriptions and cosmetics and creams. But what are people really afraid of? Isn't one fear that most people have in common just the fear of the unknown, what could possibly happen in the future? Like, what if I do come across a bear? And what if I am the slowest person in my hiking party, so I'm the one that the bear eats? What if I get sick with cancer or something like that? What would happen to my family? Who would take care of them if I were gone? What if I do lose my job at some point and I can't afford to send my kid off to a, a nice university? Or how long would it take for our home to get foreclosed on? There's just so many things we don't 
know in the future that can make us afraid. And to be certain, in a world that is full of sinners and sin, there are a lot of potential things, especially unknown things, that could make us afraid. And those things come along and they push this button in our hearts and Satan starts sowing doubts in our hearts, doubts that grow into fear. And we bite on it. We bite on it and become afraid, temptation to doubt and fear. We bite on it harder and faster than Adam and Eve bit on the fruit in the garden. Could I suggest to you that behind all of these fears that are out front in our hearts, lurking behind them is a common core fear that really generates so many of the other fears that are out front. This is what I mean. If I am afraid of the future and the unknown, if that is the fear out front in my heart, then behind that fear, am I not really afraid that God is not going to be with me and that he is not going to guide me in the future? If I have a fear out front in my heart that I might get cancer or something like that, isn't the fear behind it that God would not give me the strength to endure that disease or that he would not take care of my family after he calls me to the cancer-free halls of heaven. And if I have this fear out in front that somehow God is going to punish me for my sins, isn't there a fear behind that that God didn't really do enough in his son Jesus to take my sins away and somehow I'm not going to reach the entry requirements to enter the heavenly kingdom? See, just about everything that just about everyone is afraid of has this root fear behind it. Somehow, where I stand with God just isn't quite right. My relationship with God is still broken somehow. And that fear causes so many others in our lives. Case in point, on the very first Easter night, Jesus' disciples are locked behind closed doors because they are afraid. And St. John, who was there on that night, tells us why. They were there behind locked doors because of their fear of the Jews. Now it can help us here to backtrack a little bit the timeline of what has been going on. For months now, Jesus has been telling these disciples exactly what will happen during Holy Week, including many predictions that he would rise from the dead on the third day. On the morning of this first Easter, two of these disciples, at least, John and Peter, went to Jesus' tomb and found it empty with the grave clothes all folded up. Groups of women have gone to the tomb and heard announcements from angels that Jesus is not there because he is risen. Mary Magdalene has enjoyed a personal visit from Jesus. So everything has happened exactly as Jesus said it would happen, and they have the testimony of Mary Magdalene and the angels that Jesus is risen, and yet here are the disciples behind closed doors, locked doors, afraid. And what are they afraid of? Well, as usual, you can find a lot of fears out on the surface, and John tells us specifically what one of the surface fears is in the disciples' hearts, and that is, what if we're next on the hit list? What if the same people who killed Jesus now, what if they come for us? What if 
this is a hoax? What if the ladies are lying, or what if they're not intentionally deceiving us, but what if they're just hysterical and hallucinating and seeing things? What if Jesus is dead? What's our plan? What's the purpose for the rest of our lives? What do we do now? All those fears on the surface of the disciples' hearts, but as usual, lurking behind them, be the root fear that their relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is now broken because if Jesus is alive, what would he say to them? What would he do? How could you do this to me? You denied me. Why shouldn't I deny you? You all abandoned me. Why shouldn't I abandon you? How could you be so silly and so stubborn and so sinful? And then Jesus is there. And does he say anything like that to his disciples? Not at all. Not even close. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. What a word that is. Peace. Peace was such an important concept to the Old Testament Israelites that if you read back through the Old Testament, you find the, peace, the word peace all over the place in the Old Testament. You read through some sections of the Old Testament and you get the impression all anybody wants here, all anybody wants out of life is just to have peace. Peace was so central to these Israelite minds that they actually turned the word into their standard greeting. You and I say, hello, good morning, how are you? They said, shalom, alechem, peace be with you. And to the Hebrew ears of Jesus' disciples, peace. Now, when we hear the word peace, we think usually just the absence of something, right? The absence of turmoil, the absence of conflict. It was that when the word hit their ears, but it was more than that. It wasn't just the absence of conflict. Peace was being in a state of blessedness and flourishing. And specifically, you were being blessed and you were flourishing because your relationship with God was right. He was your father and you were his child. And you know, then the Israelites heard this prophecy of one who was coming called the Prince of Peace, who was coming to bring them that gift, peace, by being in a right place with God. And then you recall, on that joyful Christmas night, when the angels announced Jesus' birth to the shepherds in the field, what did they say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. And now, here is Jesus, the Prince of Peace, standing in the middle of his disciples and all of their fears, and he announces to them that finally, fully, that peace has arrived. And he says it not once, not twice, but three times the following week for the benefit of Doubting Thomas. Peace be with you. And before Satan can even get back up to his mischief and try to plant more doubt in the hearts of the disciples, doubt that will grow into fear, Jesus gives them proof of their peace. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And again, the following week, put your finger here and look at my hands. Take your hand and put it into my side. Do not continue to doubt, but believe. That is all the proof we need. 
Sinful human beings have every right, every reason to be afraid that their relationship with God is broken, except, except, we have a Savior who went to the cross and suffered the most fearful, terrifying thing that there is, the hell of being abandoned by God. And here is the proof. The nail marks in Jesus' hands and his feet and the mark of the spear in his side. Jesus has those wounds on his body because he died for our doubts. To forgive our fears and wash away our worries. Jesus has those wounds on his body because he went to the cross to pay the penalty, the wages of sin, which is death, and alleviate God's wrath so that we will never have to suffer it. But now, those same wounds that Jesus suffered when he died... Those same wounds are on the living, breathing, risen Jesus. The Jesus who has risen victorious over sin, death, and the devil. The Prince of Peace has delivered peace. And his cross and empty tomb is the proof. And now Jesus just freely gives to his disciples what he won for them. Peace be with you. But we should never think that the crushed serpent, Satan, is ever going to give up. With his dying breath, he is going to keep trying to plant doubts in our hearts. On today's gospel, Jesus says that people like you and me are blessed because we believe that he is risen without having to see it with our physical eyes like Thomas. And that is a wonderful and encouraging thing to hear our Savior Jesus say about us, but we know it is hard. It is hard to maintain faith in a risen, breathing Jesus when you do not have the opportunity to do what Thomas and the other disciples did and see him with your own eyes and put your hands into the nail marks. It's hard, and Satan knows it's hard. And he's going to use the fact that we don't get to see Jesus to try to plant those doubts about Easter in our heart. Because you see, if you doubt Easter, then you're doubting the proof of your peace with God. And that's going to generate every other kind of fear in your life. And we do struggle with this, and we stumble with our sinful hearts, but we do know where to go and what to do. Right back to the Prince of Peace. And so, in about five minutes, we are going to humbly sing, Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Lamb of God, grant us your peace. And a few minutes after we finish singing those words, humbly begging for the peace of the Lamb of God, Jesus will appear in another Easter miracle, and he will say, touch me. Not the marks in my hands and in my side, but touch my body and my blood. See the price of my victory, the victory that I now share with you. We will taste and see that the Lord is good, and we will exclaim with St. Thomas, my Lord and my God. And the very last words you will hear as you walk away from the altar are not spoken out of habit or empty ritual. They are very specific and very intentional. Depart in peace. And just like the disciples on the first Easter evening, that peace of our Savior Jesus fills us with joy and it fills us with wonder. So we ponder and we sing and we pray again 
And then, at the very end of the worship service, the very last thing you hear before you walk out the door was chosen way back in the early days of the Christian church when they had to decide, how do we want our worship to end? What is the very last thing we want people to hear? And they decided to go back to a blessing that went way back before them, all the way back to Moses and Aaron. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. And so then we leave God's house and our Easter miracle meal with a peace that St. Paul says transcends, surpasses all human understanding. And it's not that we leave here expecting that God is going to give us some kind of great geopolitical peace, like the war in Ukraine is going to be over soon. It might be, but we know that there will be more wars after that. And it's not that we leave thinking there's never going to be another cancer cell or another pandemic or another job loss or another home foreclosure. We expect all those things and more in a world full of sinners and sin. It is the peace of knowing that we are redeemed and restored to our Heavenly Father. That we are right with Him. That He is our loving Father, and we are His sons and daughters. So when those things, and worse, come, we know that our Father will keep His promise to His children to be with them and bless them. He will keep His promise to use even the worst of those things for our eternal good, and to help us endure them, through Christ who strengthens us. And best of all, to know that through it all, he is guiding us to his side where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That is the peace that our Savior has won for us. That is what Jesus has done. That is what Jesus has won. Peace be with you. Amen.